I'm Pete Seligman. Welcome to Season 3 of my podcast, The Next Step. This year, the Australian ETA and Search Fund community is looking forward to its first big event for the region. The ETA Forum will be held at the Manly Pacific Hotel on Manly Beach in Sydney on Friday the 16th of September. In the lead up to the event, I'll be interviewing the speakers and moderators to give you some insight into the experience, capability and knowledge that will be on offer when we all come together for the first time. Please stay tuned as we count down the days and be sure to yell out if you have any questions or comments to offer so we can make the ETA Forum a great event for all involved. Now let's jump into this episode of The Next Step. Often these businesses are the owner's babies, Mm. right? So the last thing they want to feel is ripped off because Mm. they put all their time and blood, sweat and tears into this over a number of years or even decades. And that's why relationships are so important in what we're doing because it is hard to transact on a deal. There's a lot to go right to transact on a deal. And as you hit those speed bumps along the way, relationships things that continues the process. If you don't have the relationship, it can really fall down. In this episode of The Next Step, I speak to Michael Chu, who's the founder of Flywheel Effect, a self-funded search vehicle out of Melbourne. At this year's ETA Forum in September, Michael will be hosting a panel that's going to focus on deal structuring and how to get the best structure to balance the difference between risk, valuation, investor appetite, vendor appetite, and all of those competing demands that come when trying to get a deal done in the search and ETA space. I had a good chat with Michael a little bit about the progress he's made over the last few months since we spoke earlier in the year on the podcast. He's got plenty of deals in the pipeline at the moment, which is really encouraging for the Australian market. And I think that he'll bring a really interesting perspective to the panel that he moderates, on which you'll have a range of investors who will bring different perspectives on how to best get the structural balance to get a deal done, executed and completed. I hope you enjoy the episode. Morning, Michael. Thanks very much for joining me on this episode of The Next Step. Thanks, Pete. Great to be here again. Uh, Excited to talk to you today. Yeah, I was going to reference that actually. We've done this before and so what I'll do is I'll put a link to that in the show notes so we don't need to cover old ground. But since we last spoke, you've kind of had quite a wide-ranging experience running your own self-funded search. Do you want to just give us an update on how you're going and how that's been tracking over this calendar year? Yeah, so I think last time we talked, a lot of the focus was on how to choose or the different types of options around search. And certainly that was the headspace that I was in because I probably just started the self-funded search and I'd, I'd spent a lot of time thinking through kind of um, why that was the right approach for me. Um, I think from there, building on from that, you know, I, I reckon I spent six months at least just learning about uh, deals and how to get deal flow and building systems and processes and getting the machine working it up and running and learning about kind of acquisitions um, because I'm not really from that background. Um, and now, kind of with with that infrastructure built, we're just seeing lots of deals. So, you know, this year we've we've made offers on quite a number of companies, significantly more than we did last year. And in particular, right now, um, just feels like a really frothy time in terms of seeing new companies. Um, and for what we're doing, which is searching for a business, that's pretty exciting. Um, so, you know, I've got umpteen number of deals in the pipeline, and just kind of excited to make offers on them and, and try and try and get a deal closed out this this calendar year if we can. Yeah, well, I mean, I think that's what um, this time of year is quite good for that because I think you're at the end of a financial year and so the vendors feel like they've got kind of a bow tied around a, a package of information that they might be able to provide. And also most people feel as though if they start a conversation now, they can actually get stuff done before Christmas. 
sometimes, you know, you find you get to September, October and people start thinking, oh, no point starting anything now. We might as well just wait until the new year. So, yeah, the, the iron is probably quite hot at the moment when it comes to, to deal flow. Yeah, I think I think probably people, at least this is some of the experience that I'm getting, um, finish last financial year, spend a few months, get to Christmas and say, oh, do we want to keep going? Um, and, and at Christmas when they have that kind of downtime, it gives them a chance to reflect and say, okay, Maybe we should maybe we should do something, and they spend the next six months kind of getting ready. Sometimes they're using you know someone to help them with that, and then at the end of the financial year, they kind of feel like you, as you said they've they've got a clear kind of um, set of data that they can go to market and sell their business for. And, and I think that's what we're seeing too. Yeah, and I mean it's great that you're seeing good volume because I know that one of the other parts of of the forum that's coming up in September that we're keen to cover is just generally the Australian market and, and whether or not it is a good market for search and whether or not there is enough deal flow. Um, what's your experience been in terms of number of businesses that are um, either on the market or or even off market, but um, the vendors are willing to sell? And in conjunction with that, are, are you finding ever that you're crossing paths with other searches or there's too much conflict there or, or is it generally still pretty blue ocean? I, I would say, so just to preface, we're looking for businesses that are roughly between two and five, even up to $6 million in EBITDA. So that's kind of the, the size focus that we're looking at. Um, and it's important because I think there are m- many times more million-dollar businesses um, than the, the kind of three, four, or $5 million businesses. So, um, and we see, you know, we have seven deals in our pipeline at the moment. We could make offers for all of them, and they are between... Two and a half million and eight and a half million in EBITDA. Um, so, so in my experience, there's certainly the deals there to be found. Um, I, and I'll, I'll comment on kind of searches overlapping with each other because it, it can happen. Um, I, one of the things I'm learning personally, and this is more about my journey and growth, is that you can't have a perfect business. Hmm. And I knew that early on, but what it means for me in, in real terms now is you've got to find the things you're prepared to live with. And um, often we're, we're juggling valuation and risk, and trying to understand how to how how to how to manage that from the the different parties that are in the deal. And I think for the deals that you know we haven't bought that we've made offers on and haven't quite gone through, we haven't been as competitive. That's that combination of thinking and discussion with investors and sellers and myself has probably been the the thing that. Um, that has the most impact on whether a deal goes through or not. Um, with that said, uh, there's one deal, the biggest deal of the list at the moment um, that you know I, I know another a searcher is looking at as well. Um, and my pro- and we had a chat this week. My approach with that is, you know, just be really transparent um, with them. And yeah, you know, I'm, I'm actually really happy if they put an offer in on that deal and they want it. Um, uh, as long as I'm transparent and I, you know, I feel like. Um, you know, I haven't broken any relationship with them and, and, and vice versa. I'm happy for the competition. The competition is going to be there anyway for some of these deals that are, are broker-based. So um, I'd rather it be someone I know rather than, you know, someone else. Um, but it's not that common. This is yeah. the one deal where I've seen it. Um, I don't think there's been any other deals where I've had a chat with a searcher who's putting an offer in on a company. Well, definitely in the position I'm in, um, investing with a bunch of searches, I don't think I've yet seen many at all um, where two independent searches have come to me to describe the same deal. Um, yeah. So, yeah. so it's, I mean, I think it's still good news for the market. It, it definitely bodes yeah. well. 
I, I look at it as in there's tens of thousands of businesses that probably fit into the size that we're looking at um, of all different types of business models. And there's like, you know, maybe 20 searches that you're in the community that are, act, that are very active in searching. There's lots of other people fully looking for businesses, but in terms of people following our model um, and using the kind of same type of structure and incentives for investors and searches, there's not that many and it's a close community. So if you look at the ratio between those two, there's there's plenty of opportunity. It really just comes down to timing and, and kind of fit that, that that determines whether you get a deal done or not. I think. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it's interesting your, your comment then on that interplay between you know the deal, the vendor, yourself, and your investors, and how do you get all of those parties in a place where they're comfortable enough to transact? Um, you know, obviously the, the point of this podcast is to talk about the panel that you're you're hosting at the at the forum later this year which is exactly on that point um, of, of deal structuring. Um, tell us a bit about um, your thinking so far, because I know that we're still early in the process, but you're thinking so far on kind of what you would hope to get from that panel and, and what kind of approach you're going to take and questions you're going to ask to try and get out of it. Yeah. That. So I think there's two, two thoughts I've got at the moment. One is where did I start when I first was looking at search and first started talking to investors and I uh, sorry, into sellers and trying to put deals together? And, I, and, and the panel um, is made up of a number of people, including yourself, Pete, mm. who have lots of deal experience. Okay, and, and, and our main objective is to share insights um, with people who are in the search process for how you can go about managing the different parties that are involved um, and managing risk and managing value. So I think driving insights out of the experience of the panellists, I think, is, is kind of our primary kind of focus. But... I, I, I see that through the lens of different parties. So you've you've obviously got myself as the searcher, or or you've got people who are looking to be the entrepreneur and operator. Um, and we have certain expectations that we have. Um, and in particular, for me, I think about what's the certainty of me getting an outcome at the end of this. Um, and and I think uh, managing risk in buying the business is really important in in trying to uh, understand that outcome. Then you've got the investors who've got a um, who've got a view on it um, and then you've got the sellers who most sellers you speak to just want cash up front and they want to walk away right so so there is this triangle of needs and requirements and I think structuring deals is about um, understanding each of those parties and um, thinking through what's important to each group and for each deal that is different so mm. what we're going to explore hopefully in this panel is maybe some scenarios that we can talk through and um, and even, and have people on the panel describing it from different perspectives. So from the investor perspective, um, you know we've got a, we've got an advisor um, uh, coming on who can can obviously represent the the sellers, but also has a lot of experience on on the buy side as well. And we've got we've got um, Nima who's from from a legal background and is an investor as well. So so I think getting the different perspectives of the different parties involved and then thinking through and talk, discussing. You know how you can get a deal done with structure, and how do you, can you make it work on all the different parties? I think that's really, really important, and it's probably something I spend most of my time on when looking at these deals is how to get the right deal structure in place. Yeah, because it it is. I mean, it's a funny thing, right? Like uh, um, structure can can um, help to solve quite a few issues in, in that dynamic. You know, I remember I can't remember who said the quote, so it, it'll be referenced somewhere, right? But it's like. <laughs> You know, someone walked in and said, 
how much for me to buy your laptop? And they said a billion dollars. And they said, oh, okay, no worries. I'll give you a dollar a day for the next billion days, right? So, you know, like there's always a way of structuring around value or valuing around structure. And those, you know, you pull one lever and it pushes another. And I think that the ability to be flexible around that's pretty important. One of the things that that I find quite challenging is is probably mostly on the vendor side and and you know often for these vendors it's the only time they'll ever sell a business and they may have never even bought a business so they might have founded their own business they've grown it to a point and now they're going to exit it'll be the only business transaction they ever do in their life um what's been your experience so far um engaging with vendors in the market and and discussing with them the dynamic of different deal structures and and how do you approach that I would say that at the start, I certainly had a lot to learn <laughs> because people just said no to me and straight out said no. And, and a lot of that was because the way I described it, I didn't understand it properly. And, and really, we're trying to, we're trying to, like you said, achieve a price for the vendor, but there's risk associated with that. We want to kind of reduce the risk to ourselves. So I think there is an education process um, and there's a way of uh, talking about structure, like an earnout or a deferred payment. Um, uh, and the risk associated with that, that incentivizes the seller. And, and by that, I mean, you know, as an example, you might have a business that's grown really well over the last year. And there's a business I can think of at the moment who you know, grew 30% last year, but had pretty flat growth in the previous years. Well, that's actually, that's great for them. They, they're trying to sell it at the peak, but it's a big risk for us. Mm-hmm. So how do we balance that? And, and asking them questions like, how would you balance that risk and, and putting them in our shoes? There is some skill and I guess it's almost like negotiation. Mm. Um, it's it's working out how to influence the seller to help them understand what we need to get a deal done as well as the other way. Mm. Um, and it depends on how competitive the process is, is the truth. Sometimes having an advisor on board is really helpful because you can have you can have um, the advisor who's representing the, the seller help to translate what you're saying in a way that, you know, they've spent hours and hours with with the seller and, and, and understand what's driving them and motivating them. Um, and in the example I just gave, um, that's certainly what's happening. The, the, the advisor is saying, well, listen, you want, you want, essentially you want to receive value for the upside and the future growth of the company. Um, in order to do that, you have to put some risk into the, into the deal. Um, and they're able to over time kind of influence that. Um, yeah. So yeah, so I think I certainly think there's an education piece for sellers, and it's not comfortable for them at the start, but you've kind of got to help them understand why it's important. Yeah, that that sell side advisory is really valuable, isn't it? Because you can definitely tell, like you either they either don't have an advisor, and then it's quite often they'll just be at sea, um, or, or they do have an advisor, but quite frankly, there, there's a, as many unfortunately as many bad advisors as there are good ones. Um, and if they've got a bad one, that can position them for for failure from the start. But you definitely know the difference when when the vendor has a good sell side advisor because they kind of not only do they come to the deal probably more prepared, but when that deal hits the inevitable bumps, like you're always going to find something in due diligence that throws it off course or or whatever. Yeah at least that advisor can kind of talk them through it. Oh, yeah, you know, we found this. It was different to what you originally pitched in the IM. We now need to make an adjustment. That's all normal. You know, that's probably the most important thing, actually, that advisor giving the vendor comfort that these things are normal. You know, this is not the the buyer trying to rip you off. This isn't an abnormal situation. This is all normal part of this process, and you can be comfortable that you're not being exposed unnecessarily. 
Yeah, I, I agree. And, and often these businesses are the owner's babies, mm. right? So the last thing they want to feel is ripped off because mm. they put all their time and blood, sweat and tears into this over a number of years or even decades. And that's why relationships are so important in what we're doing because mm. it is hard to transact on a deal. There's a lot to go right to transact on a deal. And as you hit those speed bumps along the way, relationships things that continue the process. If you don't have the relationship, it can really fall down. Um, there, there's a business I looked at recently. We made an offer on. Uh, and it was an interesting business. Um, but uh, as soon as we made the offer, the seller just put all these walls up and put all these conditions in place. And I just... I, I, I immediately thought, there's no way I can get this deal done. I just backed away because I couldn't see the relationship working past that kind of contractual document stage. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, so I think I think you know there's there's kind of structure, there's skill in kind of discussing it with vendors, and that you can build up as you go through your search, and also um, you know th- it's important to maintain and manage the relationship because there's going to be these tough times that you have to get through. Yeah, it's almost like the relationship piece is the lubricant, right? <laughs> it's what yeah, keeps yeah. the wheels turning um, because there's certain mechanical pieces that you can get right in the structure and even the process of due diligence and structuring and documentation, all that sort of stuff. But every now and then you'll get to a sticky part. And if we don't, you know, have that right kind of flow, um, then you'll just, yeah, like you say, come to a grinding halt. So that relationship's really important, actually. It's interesting, you know, and and getting them as you would be good on the panel as well, because I know that one of the things that's really important is the nature of the engagement of the legal advisors on both sides when they get to that point. Yeah. You know, making sure that you keep that relationship nuanced and you keep that commercial nuance at the same time as getting the legal protections for both parties. Um, so I don't know if you've yet, have you yet got to a point in your kind of offers where you've made it way through to the start of documentation process or are you yet to get to that point? We're yet to get to that point. And I hope when we get there, uh, they, it certainly goes through. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But yes, no, we're, yet, we're yet to get to that. And I, and I suspect... That can be a particularly challenging time because it's somewhat adversarial. That mm. legal legal based definition of what the agreement is between both parties, um, but it's really critical, and and that that's where more there's more education and 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 um, time spending together to make sure that you know everyone's getting what they need at the same time. So and and there is some give and take there, I guess as well. Yeah, it's it's unfortunate that whenever you try and translate a commercial arrangement into legal terms, it always just sounds nasty, doesn't it? Like it's yeah. just, yeah. It just yeah. you can't you can't document it cleanly from a legal perspective and make it sound friendly. Like it, it just it's just the way it comes out. And and regardless of how short you try and make the agreement, it always ends up being long. Um, and yeah. so some of those things, particularly if people haven't done it before when they first see the agreement, even if in its draft form, it's long and it's angry <laughs> and it makes them yeah. think that suddenly you've changed your yeah. personality. Oh, this guy was really nice. It's, but, it's, yeah. I think it's worrying for them because, again, it's a first and it's new and it's written in a way that's that's different to the conversation probably that's been had. Alex Simmons, I, I still remember him saying this about his deal, that the one of the biggest relationship things he did and one of the best kind of best amount of time spent in negotiating was building a really strong LOI with the seller over a long period of time that that encompassed all of the main um, contractual terms that they were worried about together before it ever got to mm. lawyers. 
And he said none of those terms changed all the way through his deal process. And he said that was a really valuable use of time is getting that term sheet right. So there's lots of different ways to do that, I guess. Um, at some point, it needs to go on paper. Mm-hmm. So um, uh, maybe, and, and using Alex's example, bringing that forward at a high level is a really good thing because you are you are trying to get to the things that are important to both of you early so that you know you've got in principle agreement and then the detail hopefully will work itself out. But yes, not not yet at that point with any deals, um, hopefully hopefully soon. Yeah, yeah. And well, it's and it's interesting at that point about the term sheet because it does create a great reference point or touchstone, doesn't it? When things start to go off the tracks further down the path, you come back to that and say, well, remember, these are the things we all agreed. You know, how can we start to draw a line between this problem we've now got in getting to the end point and where we agreed we'd kind of try and get to at the beginning because that's hopefully a point of comfort where everyone goes, yeah, yeah, we were in agreement back then. That's a demonstration that we can agree on things. So now we just need to work out how to get through this this current hurdle. And I I think that that is the same type of skill as a searcher that you use in the deal structuring process. Mm. It's having really plain English conversations about um, what's important to each party in a way that helps them understand the other person's side. And if there's a desire to move forward, then addressing those those topics or those issues or those worries or those risks or whatever we call them, um, there'll be incentive on both sides to get to get those addressed and work through them. And, and it's that working through time that builds the relationship because it's more than just shaking hands and having a coffee. It's actually getting into the details. So I, th- I think that's actually quite related to the topic of deal structure. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. I, I know that I one of the problems I suffer from quite often when heading into deals is um, I, I like, I enjoy the novelty of being innovative with deal structures. Um, but one of the interesting things, you know, so you can come up with some really complex, um, you know, interesting structures um, that, that inherently create the perfect balance between risk and pricing, right? Um, one of the challenges with that is that it works if you've got huge teams on both sides that can do the analysis to confirm that that's going to be the case. But with these smaller deals, you just don't have that. And particularly with potentially less experienced counterparties, um, you definitely don't have that either. So I think one of the other challenges with deal structuring for businesses and acquisitions like this is that you can't always perfectly match the structure to the risk and reward inherent profile of the deal. Um, so it'll be interesting to see, you know, like how how do you get the buffer right for that? Because you won't be able to make it, you know, you won't be able to sharpen the pencil right down to the point. It'll have to be a little bit blunt in the way in which you do the deal. So it's to your point, so the counterparty can understand it. Well, what that means is that probably in, on both sides of the equation, people are giving away a bit because the deal isn't as perfectly structured as it could be. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And I, I think um, there's two things that we think about. One is like what are the general risks that we need to mitigate? Um, once, we've got a, once we've got a deal over the line, what are the things that we need to mitigate in the business to kind of shore it up and make sure that it's going to continue to perform and grow? Um, and then the other one is what are the key bets that we're going to make and how simple are those bets about the business? So you, I think you, I think you can only get to a point in these small deals around the structure and, and, and terms that, that are understandable, but then you start moving forward and looking at, you know, kind of how much does this deal make sense? Yeah. And, and also like, you know, what, 
what are the things that I just need to deal with after completion that I'm just not yeah. going to be able to solve now and I just need to know that's part of my pricing. So it almost, I guess, yeah. to the extent that you can't get it into the structure, you're going to get it into the pricing in some way. So you've got some buffering yeah. price if you don't manage to get it carved out in structure. So, And, and that's, a, that's a really good point. We, we, at the start of search, spent a lot more time thinking about a deal and trying to understand the company before we made an offer. And now we're, we're kind of like, 15, 16 months in, we are much faster to make an offer. And we know a small amount about the business. Yeah. Um, and I think I prefer it this way than the other way because we burn a lot of time on deals that we could never get done. Yeah. Um, and there wasn't a deal to be made with the owner and with the investor group. Uh, now we put a deal in place really quickly and we have to then sacrifice an understanding as much about the business and leave that to diligence if not, we get yeah. the deal over the line. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So we prioritised a bit. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I've I got to say, like, even in this conversation, it's making me look forward to the <laughs> the September conversation because um, it's always interesting to have a chat about um, kind of different approaches to to getting deals done. And I also know the cool thing about um, the kind of dynamic we'll have um, at the forum in September is um, there'll be a bunch of people in the audience as well that'll be bringing a whole you know heap of experience to the table. So. You know, hopefully we'll get some really, um, really good questions and comments out of them as well um, through that process. So, um, yeah. um, and and you know, from from your broader um, perspective, you know, what are you looking forward to in relation to the forum when it comes comes around in September? There is no doubt the number one thing for me is just to meet some of the people who I've been building relationships with over the last two years when I haven't seen them face to face ever. I've only I've only really seen them through through a Zoom call. So um, just the network and the community, this is a solo game, even though there's lots of parties around. You spend most of your time yeah, at your desk, sending emails, talking to people for 15 minutes, half an hour that you've never met, hanging up, forgetting about that one, having the next call, right? <laughs> so it, it is it is a relatively lonely space and just having uh, real interactions with the community is, is, is by far my, you know, kind of most important driver for, who are attending the event, um, I have no doubt there'll be lots of insights and learnings and new people that I meet, which will influence me. And I'm looking forward to that as well and, and just being part of it. I'm, I'm pretty excited. Yeah, fantastic. Well, I, I definitely know that we've injected plenty of networking time into the schedule, you know, and a couple of breakfasts and dinners and things going on as well. So there'll be plenty of time to catch up with everyone, which is great. So thanks very much for your time today, Michael. I really appreciate it. It was good to catch up and um, look forward to hearing from you and the panel in September. Great. Awesome. Thanks, Pete. Uh, I'm loving coming uh, in September. I can't wait for it. Cheers. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Next Step. I hope you enjoyed it. If you're joining us at the 2022 ETA Forum in Manly, I look forward to seeing you there. If you haven't already bought a ticket and this episode lit the spark, please head to etaforum.com.au to book your place and we'll see you in September.